0: If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush.
1: Okay, for the rest of you, if you brought your... Bible's with you. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 18 to 32 under the sermon title Unmasking Tyranny Part 8. If you are visiting today, uh, you see we've got a little bit of (laughs) road laid out before us (laughs) that you're kind of coming on to this little bit um, into this series, but uh, we're addressing some of the tyranny at this point in this series um, from church leaders. Romans 1, 18 to 32, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, disobedient parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And we will end there. May God add his blessing to the reading of that word as we seek to apply this uh, word and understand this uh, to something of our culture today, uh, taking on, uh, no doubt, something of a sacred cow in our culture uh, dealing with some of this um, homosexual movement. To say that the modern church has been moving at lightning speed to accommodate legitimize and normalize homosexual lifestyle and agenda, in my estimation, would be a gross underestimation, a gross understatement. Some examples, the revoice movement that has been um, doing much damage in the PCA, uh, notably, um, on their websites, uh, they... um, have this expression on their front page. Revoice exists to support and encourage Christians who are sexual minorities so they can flourish in historic Christian traditions. And then, as their mission statement, is this quote, to support and encourage gay, lesbian, bisexual, and other same-sex attracted Christians, as well as those who love them, so that all in the church might be empowered to live in gospel unity while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. We had mentioned on a previous sermon Matthew Vines, who has made quite a sensation Uh, trying to make popular the language of gay Christians and has made a book, uh, has published a book that has um, made quite a stir in that LGBT community, uh, God and the Gay Christian. Art Perea, um, or I'm mispronounced, that P-E-R-E-I-A, Uh, A PCA youth minister, again, making uh, waves as a professed homosexual who claims that God has changed him in every way, Uh, except, of course, of his love for homosexual activity and um, his, uh, his struggle with that, I guess. Uh, has not given him the gift of repentance, I guess, to change from that. But anyhow, uh, the Metropolitan Community Church in San Francisco, on their avatar, on their front page, uh, reads, MCC San Francisco, where your queerness is not only welcomed, it's celebrated. And as the website uh, has some rolling phrases, a couple of them are these, uh, Reclaiming the love of God through our queerness. And a home for queer spirituality are some of the expressions that greet those that go to the website and then to their church. The senior pastor of MCC is Annie Steinberg Bernhardt, B-E-H-R-M-A-N, senior pastor. She was educated at a liberal seminary and has a background in psychology. Uh, Part of her bio reads this, She has been an ordained minister in the past 20 years, pastoring groups and individuals with a rich diversity in sexual orientation, gender identity, race, and faith traditions. She has incorporated the expressive arts throughout her work as a pastor and spiritual director, and she is a noted speaker at workshops on creativity and spiritual discernment. Associate Pastor Michael Cronin has a background in theater, educated at a liberal seminary in Berkeley. Part of his bio reads this. Michael seeks to meet people where they are and not live in the duality of the sacred and profane. God does not draw such distinctions. He is honored to be working with such a dynamic team to serve this community. And I could heap examples... Like this, of a church culture that has become ginned up on normalizing, legitimizing, and embracing the homosexual community. Uh, it is easy to get sucked into the vortex of this modern ecclesiastical movement that, in my estimation, does irreparable damage. To souls, as well as to the historic Christian faith and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today I want to address those tyrants, those church leaders, that are uncritically embracing the contemporary LGBT community and its narrative. And so the one point I want to address here is... Uh, simply that religious tyrants minimize sin. At uh, one point, we'll look at a few subpoints underneath that, but religious tyrants minimize sin. And I want to start by looking at how this tyranny is manifested. And it comes by adopting a posture of affirmation and normalization of activities that Scripture defines as soul-destroying hell-deserving sin. I'll say that again. This tyranny comes by adopting a posture of affirmation and normalization of activities that Scripture defines as soul-destroying, hell-deserving sin. And I'm going to seek to demonstrate that in this sermon. But you have to get at least the mentality, of the approach of the evil one when he came in the garden with a lie. And that lie was a challenge. Has God really said what you're telling me he said? Has God said? That was the challenge in the garden. And that's the pitfall that we must not fall into The tyranny of today and our modern church leaders in this progressive movement comes in the language of a love that affirms the LGBTQ community or individual and says to them that God loves you just the way you are. And he accepts you the way you are and that there is no call to repentance. And how they make their case is at least threefold, but three that I want to leave with you today is they first of all will define sin or redefine sin by the use of euphemisms. Children, euphemisms are good-sounding words that describe something of a more evil or a, a harsher reality, Um, They, as we read today, uh, will refer to themselves as a sexual minority. Sometimes we have to wonder, if you're the minority, maybe you're missing something that the rest of the crowd is getting. Um, That doesn't mean that every minority is wrong, but at least uh, the majority of the people are not seeing things the way they are. They refer to themselves as a gay community even though the vast majority of those that embrace this lifestyle are depressed, burdened with guilt, confusion, and the suicide rate among this class of sinners is the highest of any, ca- any group in America. That's often blamed upon Christians for putting a guilt trip upon the LGBT community. And yet, when one looks at Amsterdam, where that is not the dynamic because it is largely a pagan culture where Christianity does not thrive, Uh, the death rates among the homosexual community is exactly the same as it is in Christian America. They call it an alternate lifestyle. When the Bible says they are worthy of death, and they know that they are worthy of death, They reap in themselves, in their bodies, the due penalty of their error, according to Scripture, and we see this, quote, lifestyle marked with disease and a vastly shortened life expectancy. And as one pastor said, it is not a lifestyle, it is a death style, and I think that's appropriate. So, they redefine sin by use of euphemisms. They also contradict the Bible language. They assume a mentality of pride and gay pride and the whole pride language, and God calls it shameful something to be shunned as indecent and abominable. They say it's nature, not nurture. When God says in Romans 1 that they have abandoned the natural for that which is unnatural. Three, they distort biblical accounts. Sodom and Gomorrah is used oftentimes that God judged them for trying to be hospitable to men. They were just trying to get to know the men. Of course, this becomes absurd even on the face of it, when God tells us to be hospitable to strangers, why would God bring such a dramatic judgment upon a city that was trying to be hospitable? These approaches hide the truth about how God views sin and gives the LGBT community a false sense of security and of divine approval and it keeps individuals enslaved in their sins. And so this is how the tyranny is manifested. Now second, I want to go through something of a biblical refutation. We could spend a whole hour or more making this case, but I'll give you the tip of the iceberg. Romans 1 is one of the clearest refutations of the modern church movement. For the wrath of God is revealed, one must ask in verse 13, why is the wrath of God coming? And God gives language that is inescapable to anyone who is looking at the text with an honest heart. Listen to the language and you tell me if this sounds like God loves an unrepentant homosexual and does not expect change affirms them where they're at. Verse 20, they're without excuse. Verse 21, they're futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, they became fools. 24, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions. And then that's explained in the homosexual act of women who exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27, in the same way, now the male example men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error, God gave them over in verse 28 to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. And verse 32, that these things are worthy of death. And I ask you, how could you read those 12 verses and get the idea that God does not mark this as a lifestyle that does not meet his approval? I know there are other sins listed in this uh, text, but the one that is illustrated and given the most time in this text is the homosexual act. It is illustrative of the broader picture. But Sodom and Gomorrah is another example. Judged not because they were trying to be hospitable, Genesis 19, 4 and following, if you just read the text, and then I'll make a little bit of comment. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, and all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, "Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with a man. Please bring them out to uh, please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like, only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof." Lot is incensed at the perversion of these men who want to have relations with the, his guests, male, as they would with a woman. Same sin as Romans 19. You ought to know that in verse 7, that they want to know them, uh, is the same word that describes Adam's relation with Eve that resulted in her conceiving a child. Hardly. To get to know them, to be hospitable to them. Jude tells us more importantly, how we are to interpret the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse six, "The angels who did not keep their own dominion, excuse me, domain, but abandoned their proper abode, He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment of that great day just as, there's the comparative, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these angels who left their own dominion and abandoned their proper abode, in the same way these indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh, and are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah to give us an example of what hellfire looks like. And if you want to know the purpose of an example, the examples of Scripture are explained in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14, Most notably, verses 11 to 12, where the examples of old are written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come, that we would not fall into the same kinds of sins. We read Leviticus 18 in our reading of God's will today, and I remind you that Christ did not come to abolish the least stroke of the law. And that he who abolishes or teaches the least commandment slackening would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck than to cause a little one to stumble over that. And so there's something of the biblical refutation, but then I want to leave you with something of a logical refutation. This lifestyle makes no sense. Whether it be on the Darwinian idea of the successful species produces the most offspring, the homosexual lifestyle does not produce offspring. And so it makes no sense on an evolutionary worldview, and it certainly cannot be sustained in a biblical world. And this is why God says they're without excuse. There's no worldview that can account for this except God saying it is sin. The Apostle Paul would reason as he went into the synagogues arguing from Scripture and giving his case and drawing people to conclusions. And one of the skills of anyone who wants to use logic to evaluate the merits of an argument is to simply run a number of tests. And one of those tests would be to substitute terms. That when you have an argument, you're not sure, how should I see this? we ask the question, how are we to treat the homosexual? Are we to say God loves and accepts you just as you are? It's natural, therefore it's normal. You need to accept who you are and trust that God loves you. Is that the approach? Well, if we simply substitute rather than the homosexual. to, To substitute one of the other sins that might be listed in Romans 1 or other passages of Scripture, you will see how quickly these arguments fall apart. How are we to treat the drunkards? God loves and accepts you just as you are. It's natural, therefore it's normal. You need to accept who you are and trust that God loves you just as you are. How are we to treat wife beaters? God loves and accepts you just as you are. It's natural, therefore it's normal. You need to accept who you are and trust that God loves you just as you are. How are we to treat thieves? God loves and accepts you just as you are. It's natural, therefore it's normal. You need to accept who you are and trust that God loves you just as you are. Is that the way we would treat those kinds of sins or other sins? And you'll see immediately the fallacy of how we treat the LGBT community. We do not treat them like we do the other sins and identify it as God identifies it. Ephesians 4, 28 says he who steals must steal no longer but rather doing that with his hands and to provide and sh- that they might share with one another it is a call to repentance for the thief we would never say well i'm a thieving christian i'm a wife beating christian All right i'm a murderous christian we would never identify ourselves with that sort of adjective. And so to say, I'm a gay Christian, is just as absurd as to say, I'm a murderous Christian. I'm a thieving Christian. If God loves everyone just the way they are, repentance becomes a meaningless term as well as a meaningless concept it also makes God to be an irrational judge. And that's a consequence that is far too great. Pastors throughout this land will give an account for the tyranny that they are unleashing in keeping sinning homosexuals, LGBTQ people, created in the image of their creator, enslaved in this sin with lies that prevent them from turning from their sinful lusts and actions and finding forgiveness in Christ and truly living a gay, a happy lifestyle. That word did mean happy, and happiness is only found in Christ. The hope that the homosexual has, that any in this LGBT community... The hope that they have is that many do come out of this lifestyle, that Christ is bigger than their sin, and that this death style will lead them not only to misery in this world, but it will lead them to misery in the life to come. But Christ has overcome that judgment, and their hope is that they too might gain that forgiveness. Is this love speech or is this hate speech? The world defines what I just said as hate speech. But I'm telling you this is love speech as much as it would be to tell those dear children in the front pew, don't go swimming in that lake when there's alligators and there's electric eels and there's tiger sharks. To tell the homosexual you can't go in to the lake is an act of love. It is not an act of hatred. And so I plead with you, I plead with those pastors today that are from their pulpits affirming this sin is nothing more than a siren song that is going to bring great damage to souls that will keep them in a sin that God will judge and that we need to stand against that. And as hard as it is to speak against people that we love who may be in this lifestyle, the most difficult thing is to say, this is unsafe. This is not right. And I love you too much to be silent or to affirm this lifestyle and let you go in any further and may God give us the grace to make that message clear that we love them by telling them that they are sinning, not to hate them by affirming them in their lifestyle. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your mercies to be rich in our land. We know that Romans 1 tells us that it is your hand that removes that restraint against sin that is being manifest in so many that are going into these, quote, alternate lifestyles, these sinful lifestyles. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a spirit of repentance. I pray that you would bring your judgment upon those pastors that are... uh, being soft in this area, uh, not so much that you would uh, take their life or judge them to hell, but I pray that your judgment might fall in terms of repentance, that they would find the true gospel, that they would come to Christ, that they would repent of their own weak and godless preaching and giving the lies of the devil rather than the truth of your word. May your word crush them like the cedars of Lebanon. And may we ourselves, Lord, be humbled by the grace of the light that you've given to us and not in an arrogant or proud way assume that we are who we are in and of ourselves. We are what we are by grace, and we thank you for the grace that has preserved us from these errors and these sins. We ask your mercies, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108 and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The church with the crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m., We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.